Good morning to you all. It's good to see you. I haven't been here for a month. I went on vacation, and then I got COVID, and now I'm here. So it's interesting to be preaching a a sermon on community when I haven't seen you for a little bit. Uh, My name's Victor. I'm one of the pastors here. It's a delight to be up here and to preach God's word. Um, This year, we've reserved the first Sunday of every month to consider a spiritual practice. And we do this because being a Christian, it takes practice, right? If we enter into a day without some sort of intention, whether we're aware of it or not, our loves are going to be shaped by the rhythms and rituals of the unending news cycle or our social media feeds, or our workplace. We are always being called into worship of something. And it's naive to think that becoming more like Jesus will just happen without any effort on our part. And so this month, uh, we're considering the spiritual practice of community. And to do that, we'll look to some ancient wisdom from the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, The author of Ecclesiastes is an interesting guy. He's this rough-around-the-edges preacher king, and he offers us hard-to-swallow, sage-like wisdom in really complicated Hebrew poetry. Um, So maybe not your best friend or the guy that's like easy to hang out with. And he's giving his commentary of what he calls life under the sun, Life under the sun, which what that means is just life without any reference to God or transcendence to make sense of things down here. It's life under the sun. And he's looked at life under the sun from every possible angle. And his conclusion is that it's meaningless. It's vanity. But the thing is, is he doesn't want us to take his word for it. So he takes us on a journey The whole book is um, considering different facets of life. Um, And he wants us to decide for ourselves. And in chapter 4, which is where we'll be hanging out this morning, he, he asks us to consider companionship. And he has this to say about the topic. So if you would look at verse, or chapter 4, um, verse 7. And it'll be up here on the screen for you. Again, I saw vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business." Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So when we read the first couple verses of our passage, 
it could almost pass like the beginning of a Netflix drama. It's about the playboy with all of the freedom in the world. The freedom um, to, to collect goods and resources and riches, but who ironically can't enjoy all of those things because he has nobody to share it with. This ancient wisdom, it's so relevant, right? It speaks to the way we understand freedom today. Modern freedom is this, a man or woman who isn't tied down, who has no constraints, no attachments, no one to tell them what to do or how to do it. They're free, free to pursue their dreams, make a lot of money, wealth, and power to their heart's content. However, the wisdom we read here exposes that kind of wisdom to be fake, to be false. For, and it's because the problem is your heart will never be content when you try to fill it with stuff. And not only that, when all you have is your stuff, no one's there to help you when life exposes just how vulnerable you really are. No one is there to help you when life exposes just how vulnerable you really are. And so what does wisdom say is the better way? Well, put simply, two are better than one. Two are better than one. And the question we'll ask this morning is why? Why are two better than one? So let me pray and we'll jump in. Father, um, just help us as we have your book open, and we wrestle with this poetry, this beautiful poetry um, that can confuse us, confound us, but that is also so simple. Um, And so help us wrestle with it. May our hearts be soft to, to your voice this morning and to what you're calling us to. Um, We take up this spiritual practice of community because we want to look like you and be like you. Not because we want to earn your favor or anything like that, but we just want to know you more. And so help us uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So why are two better than one? Um, well, Well, we'll have two main points this morning. First, someone is there to support. And second, someone is there to save. So we'll start with this first one. Someone is there to support. So look at verse 9. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. So the preacher, he uses economics to give an example of the benefits of companionship. You and I are finite human beings. We have limitations. And there's a cap, right, to what I can produce in the span of a workday. Granted, In our digital age, we have done everything to finagle the human's abilities. We've tried to break down those limitations and push those boundaries and become the most productive, self-sufficient version of ourselves. But if we're honest, we get to the end of the day. We get to 5 p.m. or putting the kids down to bed with a sigh. (laughs) At least I do. I just collapse on the couch. And the thing is, is that there's more work to be done. I didn't get it all done. 
And, um, and so we, we kind of come, our, our work, it exposes um, the fact that we have limitations. And we come to the end of the day, and our bodies need food, and they need sleep. Um, so our work, whether we're a stay-at-home mom or dad or a CEO, it has a way of exposing our limitations, doesn't it? And the preacher here is simply saying, rather than pushing through and drinking another coffee or watching another DIY YouTube video, wisdom calls us to reach out for help. Reach out for help and accept the gifts and talents of others. If two people work together rather than alone, you know, they're gonna, they're, they'll produce more than what one person can produce. But is it merely the increased production that is the good reward here? I don't think so. Because remember, the lonely man from before, it didn't matter how much work he got done or how much wealth he gathered. At the end of the day, his heart was not satisfied with any amount of riches. So if we assume this is still the case with the two as with the one, what is the goodness of their reward? I think it's simple. I think it's the delight that comes when two or more work towards a common goal together. There's a double delight when two work together. First, the person who needs help receives it. Their burden is lightened, right? And then second, the one who came to offer their support gets to use their gifts in a meaningful way that brings a lightening of the load. I think that that is their reward. You know, we get this sort of wisdom when we watch um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. When we watch Clark Griswold foolishly toy with death time and time again, he's just, he's crawling up on those rickety ladders and those frozen shingles trying to just cover his house in thousands of Christmas lights. And he'll like fall into the bushes and get back up and do it again all alone. And the whole time, I think we're supposed to to laugh at the foolishness of it and be like, why will you not ask for help? Why won't you ask for support? So can you think of a time that your work exposed your own limitations? What did you do? And what would it have looked like to press into this wisdom that two are better than one? It's hard. It's vulnerable to ask for help. And not only that, if I ask for help, I can't take credit for all of the work. And so oftentimes, the vexation of work, it's not convincing enough to make us reach out, to ask for support. But life has a way of exposing us, right? Of making us vulnerable, Vulnerable enough that we realize we can't do it. We can't do life on our own. So why are two better than one? First, someone is there to support. And then second, someone is there to save. Someone is there to save. So the next three examples in verses 10 through 12 are not about economics, but rather about someone who is going on a journey and the trials that they might face on that journey. So look at verse 10. Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. 
So when someone went on a journey in the ancient Near East, it was wise to go with a buddy because they didn't have paved roads back then. The terrain was rough and there was a good chance that you would miss a step and fall on your face. These words here remind us that we aren't perfect. We fall on a regular basis. And the preacher here in Ecclesiastes is saying that you are vulnerable first and foremost because you have limitations, and second, because you fall, you sin, you fail on purpose and by accident. And because of this, life is vulnerable for you simply because you are in the driver's seat. And because that is true, two are better than one. You need someone to be there when you fall. You need community when your marriage is struggling. You need, you need community when you keep choosing to give in to your addiction, when your anger intimidates those closest to you, when you're obsessing over that relationship that you think will fulfill you. You need community when you lose hope and you just choose resignation and cynicism because you think that there's no joy to be had in the world. You need community when you get so lost in work that you neglect those closest to you. Some of us, we don't realize that we've fallen and we need a friend to tell us the truth, right? To push back against the self-deception. You know, if you, you were to look at us, our knees are bloody. Our palms are scratched up. We're covered in dirt and dust, but we, we're just, we won't admit that we've fallen and fallen hard. And so we need a good friend to come and speak the truth to us in love to say, friend, you're, you're doing this thing and it's hurting other people, and it's hurting you. And I love you, and I won't let you continue in this way. Do you have a friend who would risk saying something like that to you? That, that's a good friend. That's a, that's a good friend, and you need to keep them around. So two are better than one because someone's there when we fall and next, someone is there when the world goes cold. So look at verse 11. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? So again, this journey wisdom, if you find yourself on the road and the evening chill, it creeps into your clothes, it doesn't matter who you're with. Your wife, your buddy, a stranger, If you're freezing to death, it'd be wise to lay next to each other or to share the same blanket for warmth rather than freeze to death in the cold. This this example, it goes to show that the world we live in is harsh. It's a harsh place. It's a beautiful place, but it's harsh and, and usually unexpectedly so. And back then, they didn't have the weather app on their iPhones, and so... The cold could come out of nowhere. Life in our beautiful world is like that. Sometimes we can be blindsided. Some of us have moments like that written into our memories where out of nowhere something happened. Something 
happened that changed the course of your life forever? Something was taken from you and you realize just how vulnerable you really are. You lost a dream, a friend, a child, a parent, a job, a bodily ability. In those moments, we need someone to guard us against the harshness of the world. And I have moments like that. You know, when I've given myself to this kind of wisdom, I have moments like that. I think of JD, my friend, who held me while I was having a panic attack because something unthinkable had happened that that I thought God had promised would never happen. And he just held me like a good friend. I think of Ali Bertucci, a friend from seminary who brought us Panera when our firstborn was in the PICU for the first seven days of his life. I think of a family from our small group who brought us a bunch of really good food at the beginning of this summer when my whole family was sick. So we need community when the world goes cold. We need a friend to keep us warm. We need the church to share the resources of hospitality, food, clothes, a text message or a handwritten note, a Grubhub gift card, help with hospital bills, maybe something simple as the warmth of a a friendly hug. We need someone to feel our pain, to weep with us, to listen to us, to hold us. Two are better than one because someone is there when the world goes cold. And then lastly, someone is there to fight our enemies. So look at verse 12. And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. So a long journey was dangerous in ancient times because often... Um, hiding and waiting were those who were out to do you harm. They wanted to rob you of everything that you had and leave you for dead. And Jesus, he tells stories about this, this reality in his own parables. So you think about the Good Samaritan um, and how he rescues a traveler who's been beaten up and left for dead. We're vulnerable because of our limitations, our own failures, and the harshness of the world. And lastly, we're vulnerable because we have enemies. We have enemies, people bent on doing us harm. And in our vulnerability, we've experienced great harm in relationships with others, physical, emotional, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse, and neglect. It only takes evil three seconds Three seconds to rob us of dignity, joy, and peace for a lifetime if those harms go unaddressed. Three seconds. This is the great irony of community, though, because the only way to deal with those relational hurts is to open ourselves back up to community to others who have proven to be trustworthy. So a good friend, a pastor, a counselor, a mentor. The irony of community is that we are harmed in relationship and we are healed in relationship. The tragic thing is when we decide that the hurt is just too great 
to trust again. Many of us have given up on others or given up on the church, and we only let people in so far or not at all. We kind of live life with our, our fists up like this. And we isolate ourselves and we put up walls so that we'll never get hurt like that again. And I just wanted to read this quote from um, a pastor of mine, Zach S. Wine, who wrote about this. Those of us hurt by the dark sides of community, um, I'm going to get this up here and I'll read it to you guys. I'll just read it. Okay. It's not up there. It's really good. Just listen. Um, Those of us hurt by the dark sides of community are tempted to choose folly as a response. In arrogance, we resist the counsel of scripture that two are better than one. We go it alone and declare that we need no one. But this response hurts us as much as the wound that we have no desire to repeat. We need grace to recognize the wheat from the weeds. So the Lord, he gives us grace. He strengthens us when we take the risk to trust again and to enter back into community. And this section ends with a proverb to that effect. The end of verse 12, it says, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. The whole passage We've heard about the two being better than one. We've heard that five times in verses 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. But now the preacher throws in the number three. And I think that's because it's used for emphasis, a climactic conclusion. If one is bad, two are better. How much better are the three? How much stronger are the three? And so our greatest threat, it might not be running into a robber on our errand to Trader Joe's. You and I might not have enemies in that sense. You might. You might be afraid to walk to your car in the morning. Um, But that's not kind of all of our realities. But I am confident that if I got an hour with each and every single one of you in this room and I heard your story from beginning to end, and you felt safe to to just be honest about all the beautiful things and all the broken things that you have encountered, that there would be moments where it felt like evil had won the day. There would be enemies to name in your story. And some of those enemies might be those in your very family, people who were given the immense privilege to care for you, to protect you, and who failed to do that. And as your friend, though I might not be able to travel back in time with you and protect you from those moments, man, what a privilege it would be to sit with you now and give witness to the harm, to shake my fists with you at evil that has been done to you, to call out, to cry out to God with you and remind you that you're no longer alone, that you're loved and you're safe and that you belong to Jesus. So Jesus, he entered into all of the vulnerability of this world. He took on our very flesh in its weakness and its limitations. He endured the harshness of our world 
storms, hunger, injustice, cold. And he also had too many enemies to count. And in this vulnerability, he submitted himself to this very practical wisdom that two are better than one. And as I was thinking about this, it made me think of the scene in Matthew chapter 9 where Jesus encounters a crowd of people and they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And this sight, it, it had to trouble him in his soul. But even when Jesus, the creator of the universe who had all the resources of the cosmos, saw the needs of the crowd and he was moved with compassion for them, he did not say, I can handle this. I've got this. No. What did he say? He said, we need more laborers, so we need to pray. And then he sent his disciples, his church, into the world to care for the needs of those people and to proclaim the good news about him. And friends, he's still doing this today. He's still doing this today. When you feel the vulnerability of life, and you pray to him, pray to the Lord for rescue, he probably won't take your problems away, but he might send you an unexpected friend. He might send his church into your life, his body, to care for you in your time of need. And these people won't necessarily be your first choice. They may not look like you or vote like you, or see the world in all the ways that you do. They may not affirm everything about you. They may bug you. They may annoy you. But the good ones, the good ones will stick with you through thick and thin. They won't condemn you. They won't take advantage of you in your vulnerability. They will be Jesus's hands and feet to you. And they will come with support, and they will come with saving, and casseroles, and prayers uttered in faith when you feel like you don't have any. Two are better than one. What would it look like for you to follow Jesus and to be shaped by this wisdom today? Let me pray. Father, I just... um, Yeah, I thank you that the fact that there are people sitting in the pews next to us is just a tangible sign that you have not left us or forsaken us. Um, The fact that you have given us each other is a tangible sign of your love, of your presence with us. And uh, thank you for your, your, uh, your love and your provision. Um, Lord, help us just consider this wisdom to toss it around um, and to take you at your word and to move into community in a way that we feel you're inviting us. Um, Help us. It's scary. It feels vulnerable. Um, But help us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.